Today on This Week Health. I think we saw a whole bunch of people who are tech entrepreneurs come in, look at healthcare, and be able to say, oh, this is a mess. But what they often failed to see is the complexity of the healthcare space. I, I have often said that healthcare is not an industry, it's an ecosystem. It's a whole set of intertwined industries. Welcome to This Week Health Community. This is Town Hall, a show hosted by leaders on the front lines with interviews of people making things happen in healthcare with technology. My name is Bill Russell, the creator of This Week Health, a set of channels designed to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. We want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Hillrom, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. So welcome back. I'm Brett Oliver, Chief Medical Information Officer for Baptist Health in Kentucky and Indiana, and I'm very pleased to have with me today Dr. Ray Costantini. Ray is a physician entrepreneur in the digital space that I met when, as a co-founder of BrightMD that we utilize here at Baptist Health, and I want to welcome Ray to the show. Thanks, Brett. A pleasure to be here. Our conversations are a blast, and I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, we were just talking off air. Uh, so many times I've had conversations with Ray that I like, oh, that's exactly what we want to record. So hopefully we'll have one of those today. But I'm curious, and one of the questions I don't think I've really ever asked you uh, specifically, but how did you get interested and get started as a physician entrepreneur in the digital space or just in healthcare in general? Yeah, actually, I have an un a relatively unusual path there, Brett, in that I was actually, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. And I honestly didn't realize how unusual that was until I got married and, and got some exposure to folks, family that, that weren't like that. But my dad was an entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. I started my first company in a very different space right out of high school. Uh, but the thing there was I didn't love the industry that I was in. I did well. And that enabled me to go and look for calling, more of a vocation. Uh, and that's where I got into healthcare. And depending on whether you ask me or my wife, I either jumped in with both feet or head first uh, and got my MD. But then once I was in the healthcare space and practicing, I felt like a lot of the challenges that my colleagues, the physicians and other providers were struggling with, and certainly a lot of the challenges that patients were struggling with came because the, the system was broken. It wasn't solving the problems that people had. And I couldn't help but bring some of that entrepreneurial mindset to it. And that just kept pushing me in that direction more and more. I felt like I could just have more of an impact by combining together that entrepreneurial background and with the clinical expertise, I had the real fortune of being able to work with a fantastic person and, and group over at Providence, really my first entree into digital health. I built the digital health services group over there and really worked with some fantastic, fantastic people. And, and then that entrepreneurship kicked back in and felt like there was a lot of opportunity to be able to move quickly and impact more than one health system. And that's where BrightMD came in. Uh, it was really an opportunity to take some of the learnings I'd had from while I was a prof and, and say, hey, there's, there's a better way to bring value to everybody involved. So that, that's, that's kind of the lightning version of it. Yeah. So you had some experience as an entrepreneur prior to healthcare. So this question, I think, is particularly pertinent. So what does a physician or what did you find as yourself uh, as a physician brought differently to a company 
Um, let's use a startup, for instance, but to, to a company that yeah. others, others couldn't. I think that's especially relevant, even more relevant now than when I got started. When I got started in digital health and as an entrepreneur in the healthcare space, it was one of those spaces, it was a space where venture capital was hesitant to put money in. People didn't invest a lot in digital health. It was kind of, if you were in the healthcare spaces, you were doing device or you were doing pharma or diagnostics, but not digital health. And then as digital health became more where the value and the opportunity became more apparent. I think we saw a whole bunch of people who are tech entrepreneurs come in, look at healthcare and be able to say, oh my gosh, this is a mess. I can like, I could give a blind monkey a stick and they could hit a way to be able to create new value here. But what they often failed to see and continue to fail to see in a lot of situations is the complexity of the healthcare space and the, the complexity of the, it's, I, I have often said that healthcare is not an industry, it's an ecosystem. It's a whole set of intertwined industries. And, and I think that it's easy to see where you can create value as an entrepreneur, but it's hard to understand all of those entanglements, know where the bear traps are at, where the skeletons are hidden, and then be able to navigate those. And I think Physicians can be uniquely positioned to be able to understand both what can be better and how to navigate through that kind of a landscape and make truly valuable solutions. Yeah, you and I have talked before about these billions of dollars being invested. And I, you wonder, has anyone talked to a physician <laughs> that is practicing medicine because this will never, oh, man. or this is going to be so complex or the margin yeah. is so thin there. And then you're going to add this to that. Like it just doesn't yeah. sometimes make any sense, but I'll tell you, there's one that I hear all the time on playing on the VC investing side of things. Uh, and it's interesting to be able to hear some of these pitches from people. And one of the things I hear all the time is this is going to be so great. All we need to do is get the providers to change their workflow. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> we're already done like it's it, it, and the thing is they're not wrong but they don't realize how much inertia there is around that and i have seen more companies fail we're gonna i'll, I'll give you a really big example i don't know if we talked about this one watson ibm watson was an interesting example of this i mean did it did it have the potential to bring value help providers comb through all the infinite amount of information that's out there. Yeah, sure. But the thing is, it took effort and it made the provider's job slower. And it only saw, it solved a problem that was there in less than 1% of cases. Most of the cases that I saw as a provider were ones I knew what was going on. I had a pretty high degree of confidence about what the problem was and how to be able to act on that. And it was a very small minority of them that didn't. And in order to make Watson useful, you had to slow down 99, or you had to slow down 100% of your visits to bring value to less than 1% of them. And that was a great example of what doesn't work in healthcare. Even though the value could be meaningful, it just, uh, the change in workflow didn't equate to enough value. There's probably some uh, mathematician out there that could come up with an equation because I would be willing to change my workflow if the results were dramatic, to your point, 99% of my patients. Or, but where is that, you know, where's that sweet spot? Is it 60%? Is it 35%? But 
But I've even yeah. seen some, I've presented to my colleagues certain applications that we want to add, say, for HCC coding improvements or things like that. And we lose them when the presentation says, okay, all you got to do is click here and it'll open up this window. Like, they're done. They're, You're they're done. Like, that's, <laughs> that's not yeah. my workflow. Like that. And I think it's that appreciation for the pressures and the other things that are being asked, at least in primary care, I can speak to that, that there are so many things that we're asked to do. They're all individually very small, but collectively that's, and then I'm also supposed to take care of the patient with whatever they've presented themselves yeah. with uh, too, in addition to it. So yeah, that's maybe as a corollary to that, were there gaps? Maybe you didn't because you came from an entrepreneur background, but were there gaps when you got to healthcare as an entrepreneur where you're like, man, I, this is not something that I, I know enough about. You were bringing the clinical expertise, but did oh. you already have enough entrepreneur background I'm, I'm a believer that if you're not a little bit uncomfortable and you then you fully you feel like you fully understand the space you're in then you're playing it way too safe and that, again that might be part of that entrepreneurial mindset sure. I, I i'm learning stuff i feel let me say it differently the entrepreneurs and the executives that i like working with the most have got a healthy degree of imposter syndrome where they feel like they are not ready to be in the role that they're in and that that lights a fire under them to get better. I feel that on a regular basis. So yeah, I mean, I'm learning stuff in every, as often as possible. So I, it's, I don't know if I'd constrain it just to the entrepreneurial space or, or to the clinical side of things. I mean, I, I think it's a, just more of a mindset that I, I, I enjoy working with people who bring that same kind of a perspective to it. Um, yeah. I had, I'll actually, I'll give credit my it was actually my VP of engineering at BrightMD, Robert DeFalco, great guy. And he had an expression that he used often. I picked it up. He said, when you're green, you grow. And when you're ripe, you rot. And I always liked that one. It was very a very visual metaphor for that same thing. I like uh, that. That's good. Well, I guess, I guess along those lines, what do you think health systems, when you're talking about digital health space, where you're, <laughs> what, what do health systems get right or get wrong about startups? That's an interesting one. There is, I, I, uh, in some ways, I think there's a little bit of comeuppance for me. When I was at Providence, I was undoubtedly guilty of this at times as well. But I think that there can be a tendency for health systems to blame a less than successful implementation of a product externally rather than looking inward and recognizing where their participation contributed towards that. Uh, and I'm trying, trying to not think about specific solutions, but more like what could make healthcare better? What can keep it from being the place where pilots go to die? Well, let me, let me interrupt you and say, is it because I think I'm getting what you're saying. So for instance, I have run into people doesn't have to be in my organization, but are looking for a yeah. solution. And the solution could and probably should be operational, but they come with a tool and you've got the tool yeah. and yeah. I can implement that tool, but you're like, oh gosh, I don't think you get the operational side of this and what it's going to take to make sure this tool is utilized appropriately. I think that's definitely part of it. I would even go so far as to say that that's an important symptom but I would go deeper on the cause. I think, I don't think this is just health systems. I think this is something that many organizations struggle with. 
they see that there's a pain, but they haven't clearly defined what the outcome they actually want from it is, or the steps that are needed to be able to get there in a realistic way. And I think that that's something that's not uncommon. Like I'll make one up that I'm sure we've never seen. I want more patients to use our portal. And what's the actual value that you want from that? And do you think that that's realistic? Are you going to do that by forcing patients to come to the portal because that's where they're able to access information? Or are you going to do it by bringing meaningful value through that? And like understanding the underlying motives and what you're really looking to achieve and whether that aligns with the way that you're doing it. I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of failures around that. I've seen a decent number of failures or, or challenges, if not failures, challenges around defining unrealistic, early, especially early success metrics. They see people, you know, you see people implement a startup tool and they will measure success based on adoption, but then not roll it out in a way that enables adoption. They're doing a pilot where it's only available to a small number of people and you can't really put it on your website and it's not, it doesn't have all the integration that makes it easy to access because it's a pilot. But then you measure the success of that pilot based on adoption. And that's not a fair metric if you haven't set yourself up to meaningfully impact adoption. Now you could set your expectations around we're measuring workflow, we're measuring integration, like what does success look like and have we run the right experiment to test the outcomes that we're measuring for. So, yeah, no, I don't know. Is that, uh, is that too esoteric? No, no, I think that's well said. I, I wonder too, as having come from some startups yourself, when you're dealing with health systems, do you think one of the deficits that they, I, I know it's something that I've learned and I, I don't know that I can do a whole lot about it, but you know, health systems tend to move slowly and startups don't have a never ending funding source. They've got to prove themselves yeah. out. Right. And so Where's that marriage? Do you see that changing? Do you see health systems understanding through innovation centers and just different processes and, and things are trying to come up with things that move more quickly? I've seen us as an organization lose out on an opportunity or two because we just took too long. I, I definitely think that it, there's two sides to that. Yes, I definitely see that as a challenge. And I've also seen health systems make progress around that. One of the examples I've seen, there was a time when budgeting cycles were if you didn't get in on the annual budgeting cycle, you were going to wait 12 to 18 months before you could get in on that. And I've seen health systems start to do things like have innovation funds that have a more rapid approval cycle for a dedicated pot of money that allows them to be more agile. Just one example, not the answer, but an example of that. The interesting challenge, the, the parallel on that is that then you have to be good at moving things from the innovation arena into the operations. And so I, I think that there's a stage that sometimes gets missed in that process. And again, I'm just talking about that specific example as an anecdote, but you know, you see, you see the speed up front, which I think is an acknowledgement of health systems recognition that they need to be better at that. But then you have to solve the next challenge. And I've seen a number of, of initial implementations fail because that process, that handoff between innovation and ops, there's a lot of friction or there wasn't clarity around it. Yeah, um, yeah I've seen it before where we'll, someone will have a, an application in play, the IT projects per se, that project manager uh -huh. off the case, off the project, and then it's like, well, who do we go to? <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, mistake, well, we didn't identify that early on. Here's actually an approach that I've seen. Again, I, 
far be it. This is sort of like telling people how to parent. It's a bad idea because it's different every time. Uh, but one of the things that I've seen work well around that, that I think health systems as a whole can benefit from in working with earlier stage companies and, and honestly working with many of them, uh, with many projects, is not just having a project manager, but having what I call a product owner. And that internal person, their job is to own not just the implementation, which is a project, but the ongoing success and the business metrics and the corralling of stakeholders and, and the success of the product that's been implemented and, and having them truly be able that longitudinal role. It's not time box like project. It's an ongoing business ownership piece. And the places where I've seen the most success for health systems working with external vendored solutions, it often comes from that internal ownership and the mindset that comes not just from project management, but from product ownership. Makes a lot of sense. If you don't mind, I'm going to shift gears here because this is something I, I really want to yeah. get your thinking on. So in the last couple of years, we've seen the emergence of a ton of non-traditional, I'll just use that term broadly, non-traditional players in the virtual care space. I mean, every mm -hmm. uh, health plan has a virtual only option. <laughs> And you've seen companies like Best Buy shift their business plan and, and include healthcare in that. Gosh, Dollar yep. General Store, even um, CrossFit has a virtual primary care offering. Honestly, I'm waiting for Jiffy Lube to offer you virtual care while you're getting your oil. Why not? I'm like, it's, it's coming, right? isn't it? Yeah. So I'm, I'm just wondering, like some of it I don't, you know, I also see st statistics from advisory board surveys that say, anywhere from like 75 to 85% of virtual care was delivered by a patient's own provider or, or you know, their provider yeah. group. So it's, you know, still a personal thing and still relationship driven. And I don't see them selling relationships as much as access, but I'm just curious, do you think, where do you see the threats for a health system? Where do you see the potential partnerships on both? Yeah. I'm just, just curious your thoughts on all that. I think it's, you're asking a really interesting question there, Brett. And in some ways, I think the answer depends on how a health system believes that it will continue to thrive and be competitive in a rapidly changing landscape. I'll, I'll give a little business case uh, that in a totally different industry that will depersonalize it a little bit. You remember back when Southwest was like, they were the airline and they launched and like, they, they were the only profitable airline. They were doing things totally differently and, and they really were. I think that was part of what was interesting about Southwest was that they genuinely did everything differently. They're, they were flying out of secondary hubs instead of primary hubs and they didn't do assigned seating and One they were hiring their... Yeah, exactly. As a unified fleet, all of their planes were the same, exactly the same, which reduced their cost for maintenance and, and for parts. And, and in response to that unified, cohesive, comprehensive, different model of airline operations, there was a response. Do you remember United TED? Yes. Probably not. No, barely. It kind of rings a bell, but yeah, just barely. Yeah. It was, it was United's response to Southwest, and they took a handful of the ingredients that Southwest had brought to disrupt the airline industry, and they're like, we're going to apply this to a subsidiary called TED, and we're going to do short-haul flights on secondary airports, but they didn't do most of the other stuff, and <laughs> everybody knows okay. Southwest, and nobody <laughs> knows United TED. And, and I think that that's one of the interesting questions that health systems need to be asking themselves is, do they believe 
that they can wholeheartedly embrace the opportunity to truly do something different, or are they going to be doing window dressing around it? Uh, and again, those organizations that are bringing in innovative digital solutions in the broader context of really rethinking how they're going to be interacting with patients. It's not, oh my gosh, somebody put some urgent care clinics up in our market and we've now got competition and we are going to go compete, but rather, oh my gosh, we're not meeting patient needs and expectations around access to care and fixed pricing. And we need to rethink how we're doing that. It's a different level of self-reflection that is, I think, the answer to that question. Because you're not going to compete with Teladoc. Well, maybe it's not the best example right now, but you know, you're not going to you're not going to compete with somebody whose entire focus is in that area. You're going to be able to compete by understanding your patient's unique needs and thinking about how you can deliver on that and what are the right ingredients to it. My dad had a story that he would tell often. We're I think we could probably agree that the human being is arguably the most cognitively advanced species on the planet. We're, we're pretty good thinkers in the spectrum of things. And, and the, the question is, why is it that with all that brain power, we can't manage to design a bird feeder that keeps the squirrels out? <laughs> and the answer is because that nut is what the squirrel thinks about all day long. And so thinking about where can you, what, what is your nut? What is it that you as an organization are going to be uniquely good at? How are you going to uniquely meet your patient's needs through a combination of internal services, purchased solutions, acknowledging where you're, you might be feeding the tiger, the hungry tiger that's on your porch. When I was at Providence, we got approached by services provide that they're like, oh, we'd love to work with you. And we're going to be a great partner for you with our, our innovative new urgent care services. And we'll refer patients who we can't take care of back to you. Is that the right thing to be doing? Or are you inviting in a hungry tiger and keeping them at bay with the steak in your fridge, but only allowing them to get bigger and stronger and then take away a, a much bigger slice of what might be strategically valuable to you. They're hard questions. I mean, th these are things that we could spend a lot of hours talking about, but I don't know, are those, is that, is that uh, uh, at least a, a directionally helpful answer? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I do, it, and it's obviously very organizational specific in terms of what you're dealing with, what your market forces are. It's different in Kentucky than it is on the coast, at least okay. right now. But I do think it's it's something that each organization needs to face and look at it rather than a problem to solve, which it is, but it's also an opportunity. It's, it's amazing how the patient yeah. experience, which has always been a part of our care, right? It, we want to make sure they have a good experience, but it's not been so much in the front of our face right now. And I, I think COVID yeah. and some of these digital services, the floor has been raised tremendously. And I, I love the, yeah. I love the, the, the bird feeder uh, story. And I, I really, I think we probably should uh, end with that one right now, but any, anything uh, else you want to <laughs> share? Cause I think I'm going to have to have you back cause we're, we're just getting revved up here. It would be a pleasure. Like I said, Brett, I always enjoy talking with you. I can only hope that it's something that has been entertaining for you and at least for one or two other people out there. I would love to. So. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you being here. Thanks very much.
I love this show. I love hearing from people on the front lines. I love hearing from these leaders. And we want to thank our hosts who continue to support the community by developing this great content. We also want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Hillrom, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. If you want to support the show, let someone know about our shows. They all start with This Week Health, and you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. Keynote, Town Hall, Newsroom, and Academy. Check them out today, and thanks for listening. That's all for now.